This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Bad Priest. Episode 10, Anal Beads. Diego? Diego! I hurry upstairs, taking the steps two at a time. When I open the door, I fear the worst. The room is hot, and Diego is lying on the mattress. I rush over to my friend, drop to my knees, and slap him across the face. Diego, wake up! Wake the fuck up, Diego! What? (sighs) I can finally exhale. Thank God. Thank God. I untie Diego, who continues to teeter on the brink of consciousness, and then pick him up. Stay in there, buddy. You're gonna be okay. I carry the smaller man to the bathroom and splash cold water on his face. He starts to come around, and when I feel that he's stable enough to stand on his own, I reach over and start to shower. As I do, a glint of metal catches my eye. Behind the toilet is my dad's revolver, where I'd stashed it after putting it into my mouth and trying to kill myself. I'm so sorry, Diego. Fuck. The man takes a shuddering breath, and I test the water temperature with my hand. It's cool, but not cold. This will help. Get in. God damn it, I hope it helps. Diego is more resilient than people give him credit for. After a shower and changing into some fresh clothes, mine, which are a little too big, and drinking a gallon of water, he's no worse for wear. Not once does the man ask why I tied him up. Not once does he get angry or demand an apology. He just looks at me expectantly. No more lying. I'm tired of it. Diego, the exorcism didn't work. The man listens intently as I go over everything that has happened since we exercised the demon out of the girl on the mattress. At any moment, I expect Diego to jump out of his chair and run. But he doesn't. He just waits for me to finish my story, with only a few minor edits, including most of the blackmail material, then takes a big sip of water. I want to drive for you. This was not the reply I was expecting. I was anticipating something along the lines of, Father Bannon, we need to get you to a psych facility. Immediately. We need to get you evaluated and put on medication. What? I want to drive for you, Cole. I was there when you saved Amy. Remember? I blink but say nothing. I know you don't believe Cole. Or at least, you didn't believe before. But even so, you risked everything to save Amy. And that is a man, or demon or both, that I want to be around. That I want to help. And if you say now that you're going to get Amy's father and rescue her again, then I am going to drive for you. Diego rarely puts his foot down about anything. But there's something in his voice now that tells me this is non-negotiable. At least, that's what he thinks. But I can always just steal his car again and go off on my own as I did before. But you're not on your own, Father Bannon. Diego's eyes go wide. It just spoke to you, didn't it? No, I... I look into my friend's eyes. Yeah, Mirzoth just spoke to me. Diego nods. Then that settles it. 
I'm gonna drive for you until this demon is gone. The last thing I want is for Diego to be involved, to be in any sort of danger. That's the reason I tied him up in the first place. But there were additional benefits to having a partner, and not just to drive me around. Like what, you ask? Oh, I don't know. Make sure that I don't murder someone when Mirzoth takes over, for one. Alas, I digress. The first thing we gotta do is go back to Denise's. Speak to Davy. He knows everything about everyone. I looked into her when you were in prison, you know. Amy, I mean. Her father, the cop, he left after you were convicted. I couldn't find a trace of either of them. That may be true, and while Diego is resourceful, Amy's mother was a stripper, and Davy keeps tabs on his girls, whether they still work for him or not. Davy will know. Diego starts to rise, and I wait for him to get up before I stand. And then I adjust the gun that I'd taken from the bathroom and the belt of my pants around the back. If things got dicey and Diego was in any sort of danger, I promised myself that I'd use it. And this time, this time the blood soaking my arms would be my own. Davy Scump saunters over to me, a small bag in one hand. Hey Cole, I didn't expect to see you back here after, well, you know. You want the special again? No, I'm good. I pick up my bottle of Johnny Red, slosh it around, and then drink. Just here for the alcohol. What's in the bag? Just so prompt. Some of the girls want to spice things up a little. Davy smiles and raises his hand. I light a cigarette. Well, you enjoy yourself, father. The man turns to leave and I stand. Wait a second, I have a question for you. Davy glances over his shoulder, a quizzical look on his face. There was a dancer here, years ago. Her name was Mandy. Any idea what happened to her? Davy sets the bag on the table. He knows exactly what I'm getting at. Cole, you know I can't talk about that. The man scratches the back of his neck. I just want to know what happened to her, that's all. I, I don't know where she went. He's lying. I don't need Mirzoth's demonic insight. I know he's lying. Davy, if you know where Mandy... No, not Mandy. Amy. If you know where Amy is, it's in your best interest to tell me. Davy's eyes narrow to slits, and he focuses on the collar around my throat. Father, I think you've had a little too much to drink. I butt out my cigarette. Tell me where Amy is. I rise, but then stagger for effect, and Davy reaches out to stabilize me. I feel the power in his strong arms. Go home. Sleep it off, bro. It happened swiftly. I want to say that I asked Mirzoth to come forward, but I'm not sure I did. It just kinda... happened. I feel a slight pressure between my temples, and then my vision narrows and I become a spectator in my own body. I, no, not me, but Mirzoth grabs Davy by the throat, and then he lifts the bouncer a good three feet off the floor. Tell me where Amy is. It's my voice, but it's not. It's more like a combination of Mirzoth's cackle and my own baritone speech. Davy grabs at the hand clutching his throat with both of his, and his muscles ripple with the effort. It makes no difference. He can't even pull back a single finger. Tell me where she is. Tell me where Amy is. Davy's terrified now. Absolutely terrified. 
I don't blame them. I'm scared too, but scared for a different reason. Scared that when this is over, I won't be able to regain control. I, I know. I, I know where she is. Just please put me down. Tell me first. The man finally breaks and he tells me where Mandy and her family went after I was arrested. I try to release Davy. I really do, but I can't. The man's face is turning a deep shade of red and his breathing is coming in wet gasps. The man is on the verge of passing out and I push as hard as I can. It feels like I'm trapped underwater, but I can see the surface right there above me, only it's protected by a thin layer of ice. I shove with both hands and then my feet. The divider flexes and bows, but it doesn't break. Please. Knowing that I'm moments away from killing the man, my second murder, I push as hard as I possibly can muster. The ice cracks and I rush to the surface, taking in huge gulps of air. Now in full control, I relax my hand and Davy falls heavily to the floor, massaging his throat and coughing. (coughs) I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. (laughs) What the fuck was that? I said I'm sorry. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a familiar figure moving toward the bar and an idea pops into my head. A stupid idea, no doubt, but that's become my calling card of late. Hey, remember the special? What? The special. Davey, I think I'm going to take you up on that offer. Davey looks at my hand that nearly robbed him of his life. Then he nods. The man is clueless. Not only is he confused over what just happened, but he's not used to being manhandled. I bet I could ask Davey to give me the special himself, and there would be a high probability that he'd just drop to his knees, cover his teeth with his lips, and then go to town. But that was more Murzoth's thing than mine. Okay, just, yeah, sure, whatever you want, Cole. As Davy scrambles away from my table, I hear a familiar voice inside my head. You should have let me kill him. If you want my help again, we're going to do things my way, Father Bannon. I don't know if I took Davy's prop bag, if Murzoth took it, or if a still stunned Davy Scum simply left it in the champagne room after dropping me off. All I know is that it's here, and while I wait for the girl in the pink lingerie to come in, I glance inside. There are the ubiquitous fuzzy pink handcuffs, of course, which I remove. There's also a giant bottle of lube and a string of anal beads with eight balls, black with gray swirls inside, each larger than a ping pong ball. Just looking at them makes me cringe. They're not that big. Ask your buddy with the camera. I ignore Murzoth, but I'm still holding the anal beads in one hand when the door opens. It's the same girl in pink. I recognize her immediately, only now she's wearing a black skimpy thing. She knows who I am, too. You back for the special? The room has a small couch near the back and a glass table upon which sits a single item, my bottle of scotch. Yeah. The special. I walk backward toward the couch, and that's when she notices what's in my hands. The anal beads in my left, the handcuffs in my right. A sheepish grin appears on her face. Those for me? I instinctively hold the anal beads out to her, and when she steps forward, I lash out with my other hand. Before she can react, 
I've already slipped a cuff around one wrist. Hey! I yank the girl hard, and she falls to the ground, and then I quickly attach the other cuff to the table leg. What are you doing? She looks so innocent in that moment. I know, hard to believe given her outfit, but it's true. Then I start to second-guess my plan. Show me your wrist. My... my what? Your wrist! Show me your wrist! Davy! Davy! Typically, I shout from one of the girls would bring Davy Scump into the champagne room in mere seconds. But nothing about this was typical. Mirzoth had nearly choked the man to death just minutes ago, and Davy was off somewhere nursing his wounds. It was just the two of us, uh, the three of us in the room. I grab the girl's free arm and attempt to turn it over to look at her wrist. She resists. Don't do that. Just show me your wrist. Father, what's going on? Another hard wrench, and I manage to turn her arm. And then I let go as if I've been scalded. She has the mark of possession, a dark red trident scar on her otherwise alabaster skin. Just like the one that the girl on the mattress had, the one that Amy's father has, and the one on my very wrist. You want the special, Father Bannon? I fucking knew it. I'm still holding the anal beads in one hand, and I look at them. I really hadn't come prepared for this. After Davy told me where to find Amy, I thought that seeing the girl who had tried to blow me was a good stepping stone. I thought that she might be possessed, the way she hissed and her eyes went all funny last time I was here. And I figured I ought to test what Father McCutcheon said about trapping a demon inside an object before going after Amy's father. I might trust the priest, but Mirzoth didn't. And as much as I hated the piece of shit demon inside my head, the thing seemed to have some sort of instinct about people. That being said, I should have brought my holy water, my cross, my bible, and a blessed object within which to trap this demon to the club with me. But I suddenly realize that I'm not as empty-handed as I first thought. A smile creeps onto my lips as another idea enters my mind. This one considerably better than the first. And hey, what's more fitting than trapping a shit-eating demon inside an anal bead? Serendipity at its finest. But first, the blessing. To the honor and glory of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and in the memory of the mysteries of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, may these, uh, these... I let you go last time, Father Bannon. You're not going to be so lucky this time. These rosaries, yeah. Uh, may these rosary beads be blessed and sanctified. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You think this is going to work? <laughs> this better fucking work. As the demon continues to growl and struggle against the handcuffs, I start my regular refrain. I've read Mark 16 so many times now that I don't need my book. Which is a good thing, because I don't have it. This went from a simple reconnaissance mission with Davy to an all-out champagne room exorcism with a handful of blessed anal beads. Wow, what a mouthful. The demon's curses intensify as I reach the climax of the passage. And they shall recover. And they shall suck my dick. 
but there's a wavery quality to the demon's voice now, and the girl's face is becoming waxy and uneven. Encouraged by this change, I shout even louder, And they shall recover! And they shall recover! There's a tearing sound as the demon begins to separate from the stripper. Unlike Murzoth, this is no massive beast. It has dark eyes, pointed ears, and a long, thin mouth filled with hundreds of rows of tiny teeth. Frightening? Maybe. But after what I saw in hell, this looks like a cuddly little gremlin. I continue to shout the words while holding the anal beads close to the demon's face. It's almost fully out now, and the heat it's giving off is intense. It's so hot that I stagger. No, stay up. Stay up. Come on, Cole. Stay on your fucking feet. But my world is swimming, and the demon's clawed hand isn't reaching for the pleasure balls, but for my head. Just like Murzoth was going for Diego not that long ago. Father McCutcheon had lied. He'd lied to me. Blessed or not, the demon isn't going to be trapped in an object. It's the movies all over again. The cigarette igniting gasoline. The villain being electrocuted by a car battery. Fuck. I already have one demon inside my head, and I can't imagine sharing the space with a second. Murzoth? No reply. Murzoth? The demon's hand is covered in warts and ends in yellow talons. Just as the first nail reaches my face, I gather what little strength I have left. Murzoth, I need your help! I need your fucking help and I need it now! This has been Bad Priest, Episode 10, a PTL Books and Pathological Inc. production. Written, produced, mixed, and narrated by Patrick Logan. Additional voice acting by Andrew Logan and Ashley Logan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can also visit us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash badpriestpodcast. Podcast. <laughs>